Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper, and I'll be your host. And today's episode is one that just personally I've been looking forward to for months. We got this guy on the calendar months ago, and it's finally here. We're going to be interviewing Alex Hutchinson. Alex is the author of the book Endure, easily my favorite book in the past year, but you could probably extend that out to the past decade. It's that good. You've got to get your hands on this thing. Again, it's called Endure. Let me tell you a little bit about Alex. Alex Hutchinson, PhD, is a columnist for Outside Magazine and was a longtime columnist for Runner's World. That's where I first came across him. A National Magazine Award winner, he is a regular contributor to the New Yorker Online, pens the weekly Jockology column in the Toronto Globe and Mail, and writes for the New York Times. 538 recently named him as one of their favorite running science geeks. He was a two-time finalist in the 1500 meters at the Canadian Olympic Trials and represented Canada internationally in track, cross-country, road racing, and mountain running competitions. He holds a PhD in physics. Imagine that as far as what you're going to hear him talk about. He holds a PhD in physics from the University of Cambridge and has worked as a researcher for the U.S. National Security Agency. He currently lives in Toronto, Canada with his family, including two- and four-year-old kids. Just a reminder, you can access additional resources, including a transcript of this episode, at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. And please, as always, don't hesitate to reach out to us. If you have questions about this podcast, you have questions about your career, the idea of wellness coaching, that's what we're here for. So you can reach out to us at results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Now, on with the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. All right, well, we are very pleased. I should say I am very pleased to have Dr. Alex Hutchinson on board today for the podcast interview. Alex, you've you've heard the bio about him. He wrote my favorite book of 18, but I could probably go back another five or six years and give him credit for probably my favorite book of the decade. Outstanding book. And then if you're not following him on Twitter, if you're not reading his insights in formerly Runner's World and now Outside Magazine, you just got to do it. It is it is so intriguing, just every single thing he posts, it seems like. And I'm probably making him blush, even though we're not in the same room at this point. But Alex, we'll, we'll get into some of those topics, but I'd love to get a little bit more background on you. Your 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 history is it's just interesting. I, you, you had a PhD in physics from the University of Cambridge. Uh, did you have this in mind when you were doing that? Or kind of how did you get where you ended up today? Uh, first of all, Brad, thank you for the kind words. I, I, I am blushing and I appreciate it. In terms of how I ended up here, yeah, no, it was, this was not some sort of long-term master plan where I was like, yes, this is, uh, if I, if I go study physics, this will get me to the, the point where I can spend my days thinking about, uh, running and reading, uh, cool studies about it. Uh, you know, I, I, and even looking back, I'm, I'm not sure how it happened myself. Like, and the more I look back, the more I'm like, how did I decide to leave physics? I had nothing. I didn't know anything about journalism when I, I was, I was doing a postdoc uh, after my PhD and a couple of years into my postdoc, I left to go do a master's in journalism. And at that point I had zero journalism experience. I hadn't worked on student papers. I didn't know anything about it. So it was a real leap into the unknown. And I sort of like, I give my, you know, past self credit. I'm like, Hey, good, good job, Alex. At one point, at least you were willing to take, take some big risks, uh, in pursuit of, I guess, 
what I was pursuing was the opportunity to, to, to spend my days thinking about things that I really find interesting and to, to have flexibility and to have some autonomy, uh, to be able to, to make decisions about how I spent my time. And, and really that's when I started, when I was initially thinking about journalism as, as best I can remember, one of the things that, that I, what attracted me was the idea that, yeah, whatever I'm interested in, and that can be a story. I can pursue that. I can write that and I can make my own decisions about, uh, what's interesting and how to spend my time rather than I, I wasn't like, I wasn't a sort of, you know, Watergate kind of, I dream of being a journalist. It was more a, a, an opportunity to pursue my interests. And so I'm lucky that it's, it's worked out the way it has. And, and to be honest, looking ahead, uh, I don't know where, I, I'm not sure I know where I'm headed, uh, over the next decades, but hopefully the same sort of principles of just trying to do something that's compatible with, uh, a life of curiosity and, and, and autonomy will be, will be possible. Outstanding. So, so now let's, we won't get into the coaching piece yet, but in terms of like, like your articles for, I, I first found you through Runner's World and now Outside Magazine, there are so many options. One of the things I've discovered in doing my PhD research is A, how much I didn't know, but B, how many rabbit trails there are. Like they are literally endless. When you dial in a specific article that you're going to review and put into words that all of us can understand, how do you how do you narrow it from the ten million options to the one? Yeah, that's well, I I I, uh, I struggle with that question every 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 week to be honest. But I, I would say if I had to put one main principle for me that I've kind of stuck with is and that's made my life a lot easier is I I, I tend to start with answers rather than questions. So. You know, if I'm thinking about what do people who read Runner's World or Outside want to know? I mean, there's a ton of good questions. Like, how fast should I run every day? How, you know, exactly how much rest should I take between, you know, after a marathon or between, you know, intervals in a workout? And the scientifically speaking, the answer to those questions is almost always, I'm not really sure. And so then I can look up 50 studies, none of which really answer the, the exact question I'm trying to answer. Um, or call up a bunch of experts and get their opinions. But I'm not, my, my whole goal as a science journalist is not to just rehash people's opinions, but to actually assess what evidence we have. And, and the shortcut for me that is, is to, instead of starting with the questions, look through, you know, I have half a dozen or, you know, 10 journals that I check regularly. Just flip through the abstracts of all the papers going out. And f when I find one that's interesting, then now I know an answer. It may, it's maybe not exactly the question that everyone's wondering about, but it's easier to broaden and extrapolate from that answer and say, here are some questions that we might be able to answer with that, with, with this new research than to start with the open-ended question. And then, like you said, to follow a thousand different rabbit holes, none of, none of which exactly lead where you want to go. So the result is that I don't necessarily answer exactly the questions that people are wondering about, but it allows me to, to, uh, to start where I know there's going to be some interesting data and something new instead of writing the billionth piece of advice on, you know, how long your long run should be or, or, or whatever the case <laughs> might be. Well, you're doing a good job. So whatever your process is, keep it going. Now let's dip our tone to the health and wellness coaching realm. Since most of the folks listening to this are going to be in that background or, or pondering going that route. Are there a couple of topics that you've written about recently or doesn't have to be recently last couple of years that you think would be beneficial to them. So, so not necessarily the elite athlete or even the elite masters athlete, but more things that would be helpful for their often non-athletic clients across the broader span. So 
food, fitness, finances, relationships, stress, management, all those kinds of things. Anything that pops into your mind as we talk more generically about wellness? Yeah, you know, one of the fields that I've just started to scratch the surface of that, you know, and I, I don't want to position myself on it as an expert on it, but but that I'm starting to think is 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 much more important than I realized is, is a subfield called exercise psychology, which doesn't ask, you know, how hard your heartbeat has to work at a, you know, at a given level, but it asks, how does a given workout make you feel? And there's a guy uh, whose name I can't pronounce. I think he's at Iowa State, Patty Ekakakis. Um, but my apologies if I'm, if I'm saying that wrong, <laughs> who's, who's really at the, at the forefront of this field. And, and he's really strident in arguing that we're, we're really missing the boat when we focus in on, you know, the nuances of how much lactate is produced at a, at a given exercise and, and what really matters. Everyone knows what's good for them. And the real hard, the really hard thing is to get people to, to follow up on these, these habits like exercise, but, but including, you know, eating well and, and sleeping well and all these other things. And so trying to understand how a given workout makes you feel and why some, some things, some workouts might make, or some activities might make you feel good and others less good, why some people feel good after, better after a workout and others find it really difficult. That's going to be the question that's going to determine whether your client is still doing what you told him or her a year from now or five years from now. Uh, more than the details of whether you've really optimized, whether the routine is perfect. It's like, can they live with it for their life? So, or for the rest of their lives, can, is it something that's going to just become a habit? So I'm, I'm really interested in that field of trying to understand not what people should do, but how we convince them to keep doing what they already know they should do. You've almost summed up what health and wellness coaching is. It, it's, it's not telling them how to do something or laying out the perfect plan. It's drawing out of them. Why does it matter to them? So I'll, I'll need to look that guy up. So Nike two or Nike two hour project loved it. Loved the documentary they did on it. Um, just so many intriguing things. And, and the fact that the one guy they thought was pretty much optimized before they ma started making all their adjustments ended up being the one guy who came closest. You want to tell us a little bit about that briefly for folks that aren't familiar with it. And then any lessons from that, that similarly, wouldn't be elite specific, but we could apply to our own lives. Yeah. So, you know, the background here is, is Nike spent, gosh, was, this was a, their breaking two project where they had a, they staged a marathon race in May of 2018, but they'd been working on it for about three years beforehand and spent about, and I don't know, they didn't, they wouldn't tell me how much, but tens of millions of dollars trying to perfectly optimize the ultimate uh, fastest marathon possible to see if someone could get under two hours and they selected three runners and, and eventually a guy named Elliot Kipchoge ran two hours, zero minutes and 25 seconds, which was at the time two and a half minutes faster than the world record. So, uh, you know, it wasn't a sub two hour marathon, but it was an astounding performance and it really sparked a lot of discussions of like, okay, wow, Nike was doing all these things, developing all this technology, pulling all the levers and spinning all the knobs and so on. Which were the knobs that mattered? Which, what is it that allowed Kipchoge to run two and a half minutes faster than the world record? And if I had to sort of narrow it down to one takeaway, and you know, like there's, we could talk about, we could talk for hours about, you know, they have new running shoes with carbon, a curved carbon fiber plate in them that are supposed to be 4% more efficient. Then they held the race on a Formula One racetrack in Italy with, you know, perfectly optimized curves and, you know, totally flat and yada, yada, yada. The lesson that I think is most interesting is all the stuff that didn't really make a difference. 
So they had for, for months and months, they had all the runners in the project wearing, you know, a GPS watch and, and heart rate monitor and stuff. They were uploading their training nightly back to Nike headquarters where it was being fed into, you know, a supercomputer to analyze exactly whether they were getting the balance of recovery and stimulus right and whether they should be training faster or slower or harder or, you know, really trying to use every bit of science they could. And like you, like you said, you know, a, a minute ago, Kipchoge, the guy who did best, who came closest to the two hour marathon, they were analyzing his training and trying to come up with what should we tell him about how to change his training. And, 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 you know, at first they thought they had a few ideas, but their ultimate conclusion was, mm, we shouldn't tell him anything. We, you know, he's, <laughs> what he's doing is just fine. We, we, we have nothing to teach Elliot Kipchoge. And this is a guy who's training in a rural camp in Kenya, you know, in, in living in a, he's a, you know, he's an Olympic champion, multimillionaire, but he's living in a shared room in a dormitory, you know, in an earthen floor, you know, cleaning the toilets, taking his turn with the, with the chores. Very simple. And his coach, you know, there's no supercomputer. They're just doing very, like, get out, do the hard work, then recover. All the stuff that, that again, we, we all know. So there was no secret. There was no like, oh, this is the training we needed to do to run a two hour marathon. Instead, it was execute, execute what we know and execute it perfectly. Eliminate the distractions. You know, you don't need fancy GPS. You don't need the, the latest, you know, heart rate variability monitoring, blah, blah, blah. Some of this stuff is interesting. Some of the stuff may be useful, but Kipchoge was able to achieve arguably one of the greatest marathon runs in history with with a very straightforward approach and it was it was about executing the basics well not about the technology and that's what i kind of take away from the breaking two thing i love it and again i would love to hear you talk for three more hours on that one let's let's turn to your book a little bit the the title the mind mind body and the curiously elastic limits of human performance when you sat down to write that book did your research and i know it was a long-term project this wasn't something you sat down for six months and wrote it up it took years but what did you discover that surprised you? You were already in the, essentially the field. You were already an elite runner yourself. You'd already written multiple, multiple articles about this. As you pulled the book together, were there things where you went, huh, didn't think I'd see that? Yeah, I mean, like, like you're saying, it was a long process and it was sort of a gradual accretion of knowledge. So for most of what I was writing about, I kind of could see the train coming in the distance and, and there wasn't a lot that caught me totally by surprise. The the biggest exception uh, was the part I wrote about free diving. So I, you know, I have a chapter on oxygen because you know, any, any runner will know that, you know, or any endurance athlete, you know, you're breathing hard, it feels like you're running out of oxygen. So I wanted to know what happens when you actually run out of, like, what does it feel like to really run out of oxygen? Uh, and so I was looking at high altitude mountain climbers and, and, and free divers. And that led me to this sort of question, the sort of basic question, well, how long can you go without breathing? And so I, you know, <laughs> I, I would invite listeners before I tell them the answer to think about what do you think the, the record for breath holding is? And I don't mean with any like trickery, like sure. breathing pure oxygen, like David Blaine did for, for his stunt a while ago. Just like you're there. Okay. You're going to hold your breath. How long can you hold your breath? The record is 11 minutes and I think it's 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, that's the the official record. There's an unofficial one that's maybe uh, 10 seconds longer or something. And, and that, that just blew my mind. And, th and that like led me down, you know, one of those rabbit holes you mentioned earlier of like, okay, I got to understand more about this. Um, after the book came out, uh, so this didn't appear in the book, but I, I had a chance to interview 
the guy who just who recently set the um, the American record for breath holding, which I think is eight minutes and thirty five seconds, a, a guy named Brandon Hendrickson. He actually lives in Kansas City of all places, but he's a free diver, and he was taking me through the <laughs> stages of, of 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 what goes on and and what, you know the difference between what feels like your limits. So in his dive, after about four minutes, his breathing muscles started to contract involuntarily. These are called involuntary breathing movements. And it's basically your body deciding you're out of oxygen. You have to breathe. You're done. And so for any of us who hold our breath, even like for most people, those might start after 90 seconds, two minutes. And it feels like, wow, I reached the point where I really had to breathe. And so it was a real eye opener to me to realize, okay, he reached that point at like four minutes, four and a half minutes. He held his breath for eight and a half minutes. So he, the the point where it felt like he totally hit the physical wall that was halfway to where his actual mm-hmm. limits were and and because it's 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 a warning system like physiologically what it is is your your brain's detecting high carbon dioxide levels not low low oxygen levels so it, and that's just a, a signal to try and prevent you from actually getting to the point where you run out of oxygen because that's that is obviously quite serious if you run out of oxygen but so for me that became a sort of metaphor uh, for it, the general idea of the difference between, you know, uh, a yellow light and a red light, between a warning sign and a stop sign, that there can be a huge margin between what feels like your limits and what your actual limits are. Yeah, uh, great example. I'm I'm thinking of that with our research study we're working on right now. That is, yeah, the the yellow light, red light is a, a great great analogy. Um, let's let's talk practically a little bit here. So, in your own life, was there were there some different discoveries you made as you were doing the research? pulling the book together that you found to be most applicable for you in the things that you're dealing with physiologically or life in general? Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> this is, this is the question I always hope no one will ask. It's like, well, you wrote about how to do this <laughs> stuff. Are, are, are you actually doing this stuff? It's like, um, well, I'm, I'm planning to real soon, man, real soon. Um, no, it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, um, there's a lot of things that I, I've, I came across in, in, in writing the book where I'm like, okay, this isn't just a vague idea anymore. I'm looking at the evidence and I'm like, this really can make a difference. Um, but there's a big difference between, uh, you know, as, as everyone who thinks about exercise knows that there's a difference between knowing it's good for you and actually taking the step of doing mm-hmm. it. And it's, it's interesting because for me, daily exercise is just totally ingrained and I have no, it takes virtually no mental effort for me to go out and uh, yeah, just you know, who I enjoy you getting out for my exercise. Um, I haven't made that leap for, for some of the things like, uh, you know, motivational self-talk, sort of taking control of inter- my internal monologue, or maybe the best metaphor is, it, or not metaphor, best example rather is, is, uh, is mindfulness. Cause it's not just me. I think there's like, there's probably a hundred million people in North America who are convinced that mindfulness is really, really good for you and has all sorts of wonderful effects. And, uh, hopefully just knowing that will mean that I'll get those benefits. And it's like, no, you actually have to put in the work. You actually have to do it. And so, I mean, and I would say that for like, again, sticking with the mindfulness example, there are things, there are elements of mindfulness that I try and incorporate. You know, I have, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and, and, uh, you know, dealing with them, I love them really, of course, but, but dealing with them requires a lot <laughs> or can benefit from a lot of mindfulness. And I'm, I'm always trying to remind myself of some of these principles of like, you know, just, just be in the moment and, you know, experience my frustration, observe it, don't respond to it emotionally, yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's, just just knowing that or just thinking about it is not the same as as putting in some disciplined practice to make these things mm-hmm. a, a real part of your 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 life and your day. So I I would say I'm sort of you know 
at the bottom of the mountain. I, I know where the mountain is and I, I know where the path is, but I'm, I'm, I'm far from having sort of ascended to the summit of masterful life control. So not a question I plan to ask, but that's kind of what the coaches are trying to get people to move forward in areas that they, maybe they started their coaching session through their employer or whatever with nothing in mind. And then the conversation leads in a certain direction. They start talking about, I'll just use your example of mindfulness and then putting into practice, would there be something someone could do with you? Someone could ask the question, is, is there something you think that would turn that dial just that extra little bit to cause those to be put into practice? You know, if, if I knew what that was, I would, I, I think the answer <laughs> is undoubtedly yes. Like, I like, you know, I think that so, somewhere in, in my sort of, uh, you know, life, activities there, there's something that's holding me back or some excuse that i'm making that's not valid or some you know i'm telling i'm convincing myself i don't have time when i do or whatever the, the case may be is i don't i don't know where the blockage is and 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 i should probably figure it out but yeah undoubtedly like it's it's not that, that i i'm intellectually convinced that the benefits would outweigh whatever inconvenience or cost it would, mm -hmm. it would take um and i don't think there's a, like there's it's not like I, I live in Siberia and there are no, you know, accessible opportunities to study mindfulness. Even if I did, you know, you can do, you can do things on the internet mm -hmm. these days. So it's just, you know, I'm, I'm human. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, right. th there's undoubtedly, there are undoubtedly ways. And I think part of it for me has been over the last few years, it's been like, okay, I'm going to deal with, I'm going to make my life better once I get the book done. I'm going to like make my life better once the book is published. I'm going to make my life better once I've finished promoting the book. So, it's been one of those things where I've, I've put off a lot of things, including I'm looking around me, including like cleaning my desk off. It's like, wow. So that's been a convenient excuse for procrastination. I, I need to <laughs> prepare to move beyond that for sure. Well, I, I think it's a helpful thing for the coaches to hear you say what you just said, because we're all human, but you've got it kind of dialed in. I mean, you, you've got the physical piece, part of your life. You've done all this research. You're doing that on an ongoing basis. And yet you're saying, you know what? I still struggle. And I think that's healthy for the coaches to hear and realize it's it's not just their client. This is everybody. We all have issues. We all got things we're we're trying to work through. And and in spite of the fact that it's we get it, we know it intellectually, it's there. It doesn't turn it into application. So I, I appreciate your honesty with that. If you were to add one more chapter to your book based on the things you've learned since you put that cover on and you shipped it off, what would you include in that chapter? Yeah, you know, I, I think my answer to that actually grows directly from what we were just talking about because probably the number one question I've gotten from people is like, wow, this is, you know, these are amazing ideas. How, how do, what are the details of how we put this into practice? And, and my answer has been like, that's not my department. Like, I, I'm, that's, that's not my, <laughs> that, that, that's not my skill set. I, I, you know, I, I'm interested in, the ideas, um, and there are other people whose, whose personalities, whose interests, whose, whose strengths make them suited for really understanding how to implement these things in the real world. And it's, in, you know, I've like, to be honest, I've had people get in touch with me and ask if I would give them, you know, life coaching. And mm -hmm. I've replied, like, I appreciate the offer, but look at the book. You can tell the book is super strong on ideas, super strong on, at least if I do say so myself, you know, it's strong <laughs> on the theory. Uh, it's weak on the implementation. It doesn't tell, it, it, it sings the praises of motivational self-talk, but it doesn't really tell you how to do that. 
because that's that's not where I'm strongest. And I think I let that be a bit of an excuse to me to just, I left the book a little bit short of where it could have been because I stuck with what I was most interested in and didn't do the heavy lifting of trying to really understand the stuff that I hadn't already kind of mastered. So, you know, I feel like if there was going to be another chapter, it would it would make a lot of sense for that chapter to be, here are five things you can do with really clear guides of, of how you can implement some of the ideas that we've discussed in the previous uh, 13 chapters or whatever it was. So, yeah, I think the practical imp- implementation is really kind of the next step and the thing that's, that's maybe missing a little bit. Very interesting, because that's the world we live in on a daily basis. So maybe that's why I appreciated so much what you presented, because it was the gap that, that we often have. So very interesting. You personally, we, we, you were very honest with us a few minutes ago, but I'd love to hear you expand, if you don't mind, share with our listeners, what's an area of health and wellness, fitness aside, it can be any area, that you've been kind of, it's, that's the journey you're on right now. You're struggling with, you mentioned you have a two and a four-year-old, maybe it's something around family, relationships, finance, you know, just, is there another area that you feel like this is kind of my journey and I don't mind sharing where I'm at with it and some of the struggles and, and some of the successes that you found aside from the book? Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> don't get me into the kids. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a struggle right now. And, and, uh, you know, obviously it's a very rewarding struggle, but it's, it's a challenging time, but you know, like, honestly, the, the biggest thing I'm I don't know if struggle is the right word, but the the kind of dilemma I'm really chewing over right now it has to do with goal setting uh, and trying to figure out where I want to be in five years and in tw- you know twenty years or whatever the case may be. Because this really, and when we were chatting about this a little bit before we before we started this interview, um, you know, my book came out a year ago, and and the sort of obvious question is, what's next? You know, am I going to do another book? And I'd like to do another book. But the next question is, well, what's the book going to be about? And to answer that question, I really have to figure out what it is that I'm after in my career. What, what, you know, am I after mm. financial success? Am I after, uh, you know, influence? Am I after, uh, you know, pe- recognition from peers? And if so, which which peer, which people am I after recognition from? Because there's a there are topics that I could write about that would really resonate in the endurance community, or I could try and get, you know, write for the, the science journalism community, a really hard-nosed evidence-based thing, or I could write some, try and write something literary. These are all things that are important to me, all elements of my identity. And and then, as I said, I look at my, you know, my kids and my family, and I look at the, you know, there's a, a river. A, so here's, here's where, you know, in terms of things I've been thinking of, I, I read a book called The Nature Fix in September about the, the sort of really transformative power of spending time in natural environments and, and looking at the science of why it is good for us both physically and mentally. And I was really affected by it. And I went out and bought a secondhand kayak, like within a week of finishing the book, because I live about a block from a river. It's an urban river, but it's still a very nice river. I thought, yeah, I, I need to be able to just walk walk a block down to the river, get in the kayak and spend, you know, a Tuesday morning kayaking instead of sitting at this stupid computer. And it's like, well, if I don't sit at the stupid computer, <laughs> it's going to take me a year longer to write my next book. So, you know, we're obviously all, you know, me included, constrained by real world things like needing to pay the mortgage and and and, and things like that. But I'm 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 in a relatively lucky situation where, you know, I'm I'm I, my career is is going reasonably well, and I, I have a lovely family, and so I have to decide how much of myself I want to give for different goals, and and you know, which is going to be more important, 
me? Is it going to have been going to be to have gone on a weekly kayak by myself along the river once a week every summer for the next 10 years or to have put out one more book to have had a book be more successful to have reached more people and and you know i'm not i'm trying to frame this in a way that it's not like obvious what the right answer is because i don't know what the mm -hmm. right answer is mm -hmm. but but i think i'm t maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm tilting tilting it a little way because i'm 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 thinking really carefully about what's val valuable to me and so i you know i bought this kayak i joined a friday night pick up you know pick up basketball game that meets every friday night i'm trying to think carefully about the things you know social connections and and the things that are going to make my days my present days more valuable and not always focused on you know future glory i mean i put glory in quotes but uh yeah so <laughs> that's sorry that's a, that's a rambling answer but that that's kind of the big question that's been weighing on me for the last few months and i think i'm gonna have to do some really heavy thinking about it in the next six months say because i'm gonna have to decide what comes next and, and once you make that decision like my last book it was it was a journey that was you know eight to ten years mm -hmm. um and so whatever whatever decision i make it's not something I'm going to want to bail on after after a year or two. I got to make sure it's it's that I'm I'm committed to to whatever journey that is. I love it. Recent podcast we were talking about the value of a theme first or a life vision first before you set the goals, and you basically said the exact same thing. It doesn't do you any good to say, "Here's my goal," when it may not be congruent with the person you want to become. It, it's kind of that idea of of who before what, and frankly, once you get the who. The what kind of answers itself. There's really not a lot of struggle with that next piece. So thanks for laying that. That's, that's good stuff. A lot of our listeners who may have previously been focused on coaching endurance athletes, runners, triathletes, that kind of thing, they're now expanding into more the broad wellness piece or well-being. Any advice you'd have for them about some of those benefits on the well-being side that will help them with their former athletic clients? Yeah, I, I, I do think there's a ton of crossover, and I'm sure you agree, between the things that, you know, make you successful as an athlete and, and, and make you successful or happy uh, in life. And, you know, a couple of examples that spring to mind for me, things that have been always a part of my life as a runner are, for example, getting outside every day, you know, going for a run along in a, in a nice natural environment. I was talking about this earlier. And, uh, you know, meeting training partners, uh, getting together to do a workout. And so I think about some of those things. It's like, yeah, time, time outside in nature, uh, social bonding, you know, ar arranging, deliberately arranging time to meet up with friends to, 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 to do some activity, activity. I think that's stuff that's, that's really actionable outside the athletic context. You know, and maybe it's not meeting up for a run. Maybe it's meeting up for some other reason. But, you know, so, so drawing on some of those things that, athletes have always valued it's like people you talk to runners and it's like yeah i love meeting my friends for their sunday long run and i love getting out you know really just getting outside into the peaceful you know trails and forest and having some time to think by myself and these sorts of things well you can do you can do you can think about those things in a non-athletic context just in terms of a general wellness context i think nice very nice uh, and, and then on the other side of the the coin we've got folks that are wellness coaches and they're not purposely seeking out endurance athletes they just end up with them. Any tips for them when they don't have that background to effectively or at least start to effectively help these folks that might be pretty serious endurance athletes? Yeah. And again, I think there's, there's a ton of crossover. And, and it's like, if you think about some of the things that people in wellness have been talking about for, you know, forever, uh, getting enough sleep, controlling your stress levels, uh, you know, being clear about your priorities, about how you want to spend your time. I think 
these are just more recently being recognized finally as as crucial ingredients to to athletic performance so you know sleep is is an obvious one but you know controlling your stress and and more generally just uh, thinking carefully about how you spend your time because especially if you're talking you know if you're talking to an olympic athlete then maybe they're spending all their time training anyway but for most of us we're we're balancing our athletic goals with uh, all sorts of other commitments and goals in our, in our lives and so and, and it's easy. You, you'll hear a lot of athletes like, oh, I just wish I could train, you know, half an hour more. I wish sure. I could do this. I wish I could do that. But it's not re- realistic in my life. And I think one of the sort of uh, important things in, in wellness in general is thinking carefully about your priorities and how you spend your time, mm-hmm. what, what's important, wh- where, where are the places in your life that you're frittering away time that you could be using for things that are really of value to you. And if, if you've got a serious athlete, and if you can help them figure out wh- what is the value of their time, where where do they want to s- spend their 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 resources, uh, and how important is them is it to them to you know get that extra hour of sleep that could make a big difference? I think you'll you'll be doing them a big service athletically as well as just in the context of general wellness. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, so we'll kind of wrap it up here. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to share either with current coaches that maybe not be thinking about some of the things that you've looked at or people that are on the fence and thinking, yeah, I, I think I'd like to go this route. Any, any final words you'd like to share with them? Uh, you know, I, I think I've, 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 I've squeezed out most of the wisdom I have, but, <laughs> but if, if, there's, if, there's, if there's one thing that I, that I kind of try and encourage people to, to reflect on, it, it's to, to think, about the difference between short-term and long-term goals and to, and to really not get too caught up in the short-term and, and focus. I mean, we all need short-term goals, don't get me wrong, but, but to, to, to really get motivated about where you can be in five years rather than in six months. Cause you know, it's a cliche to say that most of us uh, really overestimate what we can do in the short term, but I think also underestimate what mm-hmm. we can do in the long term. And so people get amped up about what they want to do next month and miss that target and then maybe let that throw them off. And so I think when you're helping people figure out where they want to go, uh, really just, you know, paint a picture of, of the incredible possibilities for them if they're willing to put in not a month, but a year or a few years uh, pursuing a goal. That is fantastic advice. I appreciate it. How can people find you? At Twitter, you're pretty active on Twitter. It's at Sweat Science. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right, and that's that's the, the 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 social media venue that I found has has worked best for me in terms of interacting with people. So, uh, Twitter, Twitter, and that's where you know if I have new articles and things like that, or just things I find interesting, I post them there. I do have a website, alexhutchinson.net, if you want to sort of explore my you know undergraduate GPA or anything like that. But uh, you know, t- t- Twitter is probably the, the the logical place to go. Perfect. Well, sir, I really appreciate it. This was fun. It was great information, and I think uh, in addition to everything you bring on the research side, just your honesty, and we all struggle with a lot of the same things, and and you're not immune to that. So thanks for laying that out for us, and and thanks for taking the time with us today. Well, thanks, Brad. I I appreciate the therapy session, and hopefully I'll be able to to work through some of my issues uh, next time we talk. Sounds great. Thank you, sir. Thanks. That was fun. Just a couple of things I jotted down as I was listening back through this for the final editing process. First one, did you hear what he said about his career? Because I know a lot of you are in that place where you're sitting there thinking, you know, I, 
do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? And, and that's what brought you to wellness coaching. You're thinking, well, maybe that's the route. And, and I'm not here to say it is, but he talked about, he had a, a, a PhD in physics and he decided to go back and get a master's degree in journalism. And that put him in this role that it's not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect, but he's really loving what he's doing. It gives him that he, he, he taught, what was the quote I wrote down? Do something that's compatible with a life of curiosity and that offers autonomy. You could tell those are the things important to him. And, and I know it's important for a lot of you too. So I don't know, maybe you want to get a PhD in physics and then get a master's in journalism, or you could think about the wellness coaching. But all kidding aside, if you if you hear some of the other things he talked about, and I think that's what I appreciated most about Alex in this interview is I had a lot of respect for him coming in. I loved his book. He and I had communicated a few times. I'd read his articles for years. But it was his transparency, his honesty that really captured my attention. And, and, and hopefully hopefully you heard that too. And and you appreciate that. And, and you saw that potential both in your own life and that of your clients. A couple of the things I wrote down, uh, the, the pondering he's doing about his life pursuits going forward. You could hear he's, he's really wrestling with that. And you're hearing that with your clients. That's what you're helping them through. You're helping them through these major hurdles in their lives that will determine not just the next six months, but the, much of the rest of their life. So, so again, super encouraging, and, and hopefully you, you heard that in there as well. And then the last thing I jotted down is, is there's a big difference between knowing it's good for you and actually doing it. He mentioned that a couple of times, not just in reference to other people, but again, that transparency of saying, hey, I struggle with it too. So those are, the, again, the things you're doing as a wellness coach, the impact you're having is helping people to realize that. And I just wanted to kind of bring that to your, your to the forefront here and make sure you hear that. So a couple things coming up. We just announced the retreat. If you haven't heard about that, you might want to take a peek at that. That's going to be in September in Estes Park, Colorado. It, we're already having people register for it. There's, a, there's an early registration discount, and, and people are jumping on that. For the certification itself, if that's something you're looking at, our next two, and obviously it depends on when you hear this, but our next two fast-track programs in Colorado are February 23rd and 24th and then June 1st and 2nd. Obviously, you can do the distance learning anytime you'd like, and there are four programs a year generally in Colorado. So if you miss those dates or they don't work, just take a peek at the website or, or reach out to us, and we can get you set up with the, with the next one. We, we do love hearing from you. If you've got questions, if you have future topic ideas, we have a, just an incredible lineup over the next several weeks. But if you've got ideas, that's helpful to us. We love to hear those. And you can email us anytime at results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. And there's a lot of resources to supplement this at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. So feel free to jump into those or reach out to us when you'd like. Folks, I appreciate you spreading the word. All of you who have subscribed, shared, provided the, the great ratings, it, it, we appreciate it. We're, we're really not marketing this thing much, and so it's, it's been a result of you sharing it, and I appreciate it. Until next time, let's all keep working towards what we like to call in this show, hashtag better than yesterday, not just for ourselves, but for our clients. Make it a great day, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Mm-hmm.